what is what is the Genesis history doing in the Cherokee Nation's tribal traditions? What is that the Guarani tribe of South America? What is the Genesis flood doing in their history? What is that doing in the the Iroquois history? And it's big problems for skeptics. Rains fell on the earth for 45 days. The rising waters wiped out all the peoples with the lone exception of an old man atop Spirit Mountain. The creator eventually sent a bird to the man with instructions to dig with a ram's horn into the foot of the mountain to enable the waters to drain. The man obeyed, and soon the bird returned a second time with grass in its beak to inform the man that the waters had receded. This story does not come from the ancient Near East, but rather the ancient North American Southwest, from the people of the Ponderosa Pine, or the Hualapai. No one knows for certain how long the tribe has occupied the western edge of the Grand Canyon in Arizona, but their sacred oral traditions have been partially preserved in both memories from elder tribespeople and in pictographs on nearby Spirit Mountain a sacred locale for native First Nations from the human language group. The oral tradition we just heard comes from two tribal elders, Lucille Watahomigi and Paul Taliji. Paul was over 100 years old when he shared the story for an anthology of human story and song in the early 1980s. Paul received the tradition from his grandfather and spent most of his life on the Hualapai Reservation. In the anthology, Paul retells the story of a flood in his native Hualapai language, sans any outside European or missionary influence. And this is but one example of the hundreds of tales from Canada all the way down through Mexico, Central, and South America of native tribal stories that contain a multitude of similarities with the flood narrative found in the book of Genesis. Many of these ancestral tales have been brought together for the first time in an anthology by author Nick Liguri, who in 2016 began researching flood legends from around the world. The result of his efforts is Echoes of Ararat, a collection of over 300 flood legends from North and South America. Nick's anthology brings a treasure trove of evidence to the conversation about the biblical flood. Here is undeniable documentation that there exists in the collective memories of many native tribes, an ancient tale of divine judgment, disaster, and a salvation of a very few. On part one, we talk about how the book project came about, why Genesis contains the true account of the flood, from which all other stories are derived, and some of the similarities to Genesis Nick found in these native oral traditions. We hope these episodes can serve as a reminder to both believer and skeptic alike of the necessity of finding salvation in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be with the coming of the Son of Man. 
We hope these episodes encourage you to get on board while there is still time. As we began our talk, Nick shared how this project of collecting flood stories from Native First Nation people began. Here is Nick Liguri. It's been fun. Uh, I've been interested in apologetics for a long time, kind of the intersection of, of, of the Bible and science and history and, and, and what do we make of all this? And so I was reading a book and came across the subject of flood legends. And, you know, we find flood legends all over the world, tribes, nations, they have these intricate traditions that mirror the Genesis account of the flood uh, mm-hmm. in specific details. And well, that's interesting. So I just started studying that a little bit and started finding more and more. And wow. And you're reading and it's like, what is, what is the Genesis history doing in the Cherokee nation's tribal traditions? What is that, the Guarani tribe of South America, what is the Genesis flood doing in their history? What is that doing in the, the Iroquois history? And it's big problems for skeptics. I started compiling these and I thought this, this is just, you know, I hadn't seen really a, a comprehensive kind of compilation of, of this evidence. And I thought it was uh a great evidence that, uh, that that we need to share. And I kept finding more and more. And I thought, man, if I can get to like 75 traditions from uh, North America, and then the, it's from 75 to 90 to 100, you know, 165, and then bring in South America and in other, uh, I, I mean, I, I was, and you know, it's to, to my shame, I should have expected to find so many, but I didn't expect <laughs> to find this many. Yeah, uh, it's It's been a blast. And it, what it does is what, what it's about these traditions they confirm what genesis says this this is absolute truth that we have in, in our bible right here and and it confirms it right from the beginning the found the genesis the foundational book uh of, of mm. the, the old testament so how long did it take you to to do all this you started with you saw this one flood legend in in, in a north american uh, first people's nation tribe and you're like wow this sounds a lot like genesis why are these people uh, so, and so, how long did this take you to to compile? What 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 went on for the research? How how long did you uh, spend time looking into this? Uh, a few years, um, beginning in about 2016. It, it's I have a day job, but <laughs> so I do in my spare time. Yeah, I had had to visit different libraries and and uh, contact. Uh, I had the opportunity to get in contact with some. Uh, uh, chiefs of, of tribes and, and, uh, missionaries and, and other people. Um, it's, it, it's, it's been a lot of work, but you know, it's when, when you love doing it, it's a labor of love. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm researching now my, I've turned my attention to, uh, uh, Asia and the Pacific, and then I'm going to move West toward uh, the middle, middle East and Africa and Europe. And that'll be volume two. Fantastic. Um, let's begin in the beginning. Why don't we? One, one thing I've noticed uh, as I'm reading through uh, a lot of these legends uh, are remarkable similarities to Genesis. And, and, but the other thing that struck me was that of all the legends, even if we go to Gilgamesh, it's hard to really make an argument that Moses took parts from Gilgamesh and built Genesis 6 through 9. It just doesn't, it seems like it would be the other way around that Gilgamesh would be more of like stuff people heard 
And what we have in Genesis seems to be the first-hand account, the most clearest account of the flood legend uh, when we talk about worldwide flood legends. There's no other culture, there's no other tribe, there's no other people that have the clarity and the detail in Noah's account in Genesis uh, that we have. Did you find that to be true? Absolutely. It's just night and day comparing it with anything else. You read in Genesis and it's just apparent that this is something that it, it sounds like a log book. It sounds like a journal that Noah himself wrote when he was on the ark and he kept meticulous record of the instructions he was given by God. And on such and such day, we measured the water was this deep on such and such day, this happened. And we saw uh, mountains and um, it so when you compare the, the quality of, of of the Genesis account with anything else. And the, the rule that I find in different traditions of the flood is that they locate the flood. They, they locate their error at uh, where the ark landed uh, at some local mountain. Uh, the Bible doesn't attempt to do that. The Bible places it at Ararat, uh several hundred miles away from Israel. Um, it would have been very convenient to say if, if Moses was making it up while well, the ark landed at um, you know, one of the local mountains in the vicinity. Um, that's not what he did. When we look at the Epic of Gilgamesh, it's, it's full of just mythical material. And there's internal evidence in Genesis that Moses says, look, there was a, a book. Uh, Moses uh, lets us know that he had access to ancient manuscripts passed down by uh, Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and Joseph the early patriarchs um, that the, the the Jewish elders preserved, and and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he put together the Book of Genesis. Uh, but Noah had uh, uh, Moses had um, a detailed record of the flood in Genesis, and, and we have we have a lot of evidence for its credibility, uh, its originality. When you compare the flood accounts that we find all over the world, they vary in different ways, but they all point back to this one in the middle, which is. And they all have commonalities with one account, and that's the Genesis uh, account. Mm. Mm. They don't share commonalities with, you know, you say that uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh is the, the Babylonian version is the original. No, that's not the one that these other versions mirror. Uh, and, 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 and no, the, these tribes didn't copy it from the Bible. Uh, they all point back to the original as being Genesis. Yeah, so, and that's, that's remarkable because... Uh, as I'm reading these these native tales, y- you begin to see without any prompting. You can see there's a boat or a canoe. There's uh, a bird involved. Um, I know I was reading the section this morning about uh, the central uh, Central Mexico, and uh, one of the Aztec or uh, cultures that were contemporary to the Aztecs uh, have the great-tailed grackle as playing a part. And of course, <laughs> that's a very common bird here in Texas in Walmart parking lots, those big black birds that sound like squeaky gates. But but all of these legends seem to have some kind of animal, uh, a bird or an earth diver, as you say. Uh, so there's this bird, there's a boat, there's a few people that are preserved. Um, there's these instructions to build a boat or to take seed and people uh, upon these things. And you're you're left wondering, how in the world, as you said at the beginning, how did the Cherokees or the Hoalapai, or the Tarahumara, how did these people get these narratives? Now, some skeptics might say, Nick, that, 
well, the conquistadores brought over their Christianity, the, the, the missionaries brought over their Christianity and told these things to these people, and that's how they got it. But no, you say that, that these people, that the people new to the, to the Americas, were receiving this, this, this information was already present in these tribes when Europeans first started encountering them. Is that correct? Is that what you found? Yes. And I say to that, did the conquistadores, did the early missionaries use time travel? Did they go back in time to ancient periods that predate Christian influence and plant evidence? The evidence that we have is so early, so original. Uh, that argument just doesn't work. Um, and, and you mentioned uh, the earth diver accounts. And, and I was told by atheist anthropologists that uh, you know the earth diver account has nothing to do with the Genesis flood account. But I, I've shown that 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 it is derived from the Genesis flood account um, in the appendix. Um, when, when you look at the, the argument that they were, that these traditions are the product of Christian influence. Well, they were taught by the missionaries. It, it, it just doesn't hold water. When you, when you look at the, uh, the early date that they were recorded, um, the, the, the sources they're, they're from non-Christian sources, um, atheist sources and so forth. And the other argument is that, well, it's just by chance that they resemble Genesis. Uh, just there's something in our human nature that we, we watch rains and floods and we produce these stories that sound like Genesis. But when you look at the specificity uh, with which they match God warning uh, a, a righteous man, Noah, uh, of a flood to come, you have to build an ark. You have to build a great canoe. Uh, it, it being constructed, the, the flood coming, the the universal flood, drowning everyone. Everyone who's not on that on that boat died. And you have to take a pair of animals um, aboard the ark or the great canoe, landing that boat on a great mountain, coming down and repopulating the earth. A rainbow that was given as a, as a sign that uh, that the great spirit will not again destroy the earth with the flood. Uh, in some cases, a uh, account of the Tower of Babel afterwards. Uh, so the idea that, that that these can be explained away by chance is, uh, is, is, is no more possible than the idea that creation and uh, everything that we find can be explained by random mutation and chance. Right, right. It, it just points back to, um, you know, and I, I've heard it, I've seen it, a lot of the skeptic uh, literature and objections to this is, hey, well, you know, it floods everywhere in the world. Of course, we'll have flood stories. But this does not account, as you point out, for the very detailed similarities. And that's one thing about your anthology here that is so impressive is that you get out, you get laid out the details that overlap. And you, you are left wondering how come, uh, you know, the ancient Near East in Gilgamesh and the, you know, tribes of the Americans, what would soon be the American Southwest, have such similar stories and uh, this this seems to emanate from one of the things I found most humorous and you can speak to this a little bit we'll, we'll get into the details a lot some of these other stories um, one thing I found very humorous in some of them that I was reading this morning is that a couple of the the, the Central American tribes have this tradition that um, that there was a, a tower of Babel I mean there's no other explanation for it that that men's language we lost the ability to communicate but i thought that maybe some tribes were even saying that god that that men were turned into monkeys 
And that just sounds like Babel to me, the Tower of Babel situation. Is it, what, do you think that's what the, the monkey references are talking about, uh, a, a, re- a reference to post-flood uh, Babel? Absolutely. These traditions talk about, a after the flood, a confusion, uh, people becoming confused, uh, depraved. Um, and I think that's a... a uh, you know, bit distorted account of of Babel. Um, we find these traditions of Babel all over the world. Um, we also find traditions of creation and the Garden of Eden. Uh, some tribes say that that uh, God made man out of the earth and um, and took a rib or took something out of that man and used it to create woman. Uh, whether it's in Greenland or uh, across mm. North and South America, it's fascinating. I mean, it's truly fascinating. Let's uh, let's start because I know I'm 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 hearing it in the minds of some of my skeptic friends that listen to our podcasts. Um, come on, Dan. I mean, Gilgamesh came first, and Moses borrowed it. So so let's 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 address this right off the bat, Nick. Uh, why? I mean, why why do people even argue that Gilgamesh came first, and and why should we? Uh, look at Genesis as the original, since people argue it was written much later. Um, why, why the fascination with this idea that whoever wrote Genesis um, was copying from the Epic of Gilgamesh? What do you say? And, and that's what I was taught to in college. Intro to Western civilization. Moses stole the flood account from the Epic of Gilgamesh. Um, we do have a very early copy from. Uh, from, from Babylon um, of, of that account. Uh, there, there's a great quote uh, from Kenneth Kitchens, a Near East scholar who basically says that uh, when you look at the, the Near East, uh, the, the rule is that historical fact as it's passed down becomes mythical over time. Uh, it, it's not the other way around. It doesn't start as a myth, doesn't become something historical, sober, like we find in Genesis. Um, like, like I mentioned, Moses had access to uh, ancient sources passed down by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the patriarchs, and even Noah. So, so that's what we have. When we um, compare, for example, I've done a comparison where looking at the, tr- the uh, tribal accounts from North America, um, okay, do they match the Epic of Gilgamesh or do they match Genesis? And and they match Genesis on specific points, um, and they do not match the Epic of Gilgamesh. I've got a detailed comparison in, in the appendix. In Genesis, it says that Noah offered a sacrifice to God after after he got off the ark. Right in in the Epic of Gilgamesh, it says that basically all the gods gathered around. There was a the gods gathered like fr- flies. It says at the sacrifice that Uta Apishti offered, um, and then there was a quarrel between the gods. There, there, there's just there's just tons of uh, mythical material. Um, Uta Napishti was granted immortality after, after the flood. Uh, he became as a God. We have a simpler, more sober account in, in Genesis. Mm-hmm. And Uta would be, Uta would be their, their Noah. Yes. And uh, he was divinized in that legend. He was divinized, made a God. Um, and in the Bible, we have Noah planted a vineyard and gets drunk. Right, <laughs> and so it's it, it like you said it's 
sobering, kind of ironically there, but uh, it is it is more of a straightforward, factual account of how difficult, tragic, and uh, like you said, streamlined and simple. It's not uh, it's not it's not inflated with this sort of kind of ambiguity. You have certain dates and times for for when how old Noah was and what year it was and. And Gilgamesh, and then the other thing about Gilgamesh is that you have you have these this fragmented. We have fragments of texts that uh, even even if we were to grant the the author of Gilgamesh, um, you would based on the bits that we have, you would think that there's no way that Moses would have been copying from this because it's so different in so many different places. Because the Gilgamesh is is polytheistic, and you know we have monotheism in in Genesis. So there is stark differences right the, the bible says why did god send the flood he sent the flood because of the violence and the wickedness of mankind right uh the the epic says god sent the flood because mankind was too noisy and the gods couldn't sleep anymore yeah right um the the genesis says there was a raven sent by noah and then he sent a, a dove mm-hmm. and then he waited a week later and sent the dove again and it returned with a freshly picked olive leaf yeah uh, the epic says that he sent a dove and then a swallow and then a raven and none of them returned with anything. Um, none of the tribal traditions match that. They match Genesis. By yeah. The way. Yeah. Um, the, 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 uh, this boat in the epic, it's not seaworthy at all. It was a, like a cube. Mm. Uh, it, it, it would not have floated. They would have, they would have all died in it. Uh, and when, when, uh, Engineers do studies of the ark and its dimensions. It's it's incredibly seaworthy. Mm. That's fantastic. I mean, it's just it is amazing to see uh, those those uh, the contrasts there. So we we're pretty confident we have historically we're looking at the Genesis. We're looking at the the origin of that, and uh, and, and and the epic. It's not even an attempt to be a a historical document. Right, it, it's right. something that was written for entertainment value. You know, we have entertainment today. They had entertainment too, and this was. This was like their Shakespeare, and it was, uh, you know, and they undoubtedly had some account of the flood that they remembered. Mm. By the way, the epic is itself evidence for the flood. It, it um, but it's not the it's not the original. Mm. It's not uh, Moses didn't use it, and it's, uh, um, but it's 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 fiction. It's something that's written for entertainment value. Yeah. And so they took a flood account, and and it got it got twisted in a way that 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 is is not serious anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point because you have, I mean, we have the, the Odyssey and the Iliad as well, which, um, and, and all the Greek plays, and we can differentiate between Greek history and, and what went on in the Greek stages. Um, and we, we still do this today. So we go for, let's go from, uh, the, from the ancient Near East, Nick, and let's, let's come to what is now North, Central, and South America, which is this volume one, your first book here, uh, focuses on. Um, and, I want to talk about um, just some of the fascinating details in some of these. What when you started compiling uh, this information from the Americas? Uh, where did you begin, and, and what facet? What were some of the first fascinating things that you started to find as you were uncovering these things in this part of the world? There are amazing uh, accounts that that, uh, for example, the. Uh, you mentioned the, the Wallapai tribe of Arizona. Um, these ancient manuscripts that predate uh, the arrival of, of Europeans, uh, which depict the flood, and they, sh- they show eight survivors. They say that it rained for 45 days. 
uh, they refer to a bird that was sent. And on the second time it returned uh, with grass uh, to indicate to their Noah that the flood was ending. Um, we, we find counts, accounts like that uh, all over uh, the Mandan tribe of uh, Minnesota and, and the, the uh, Northern Great Plains. They have an, an amazing tradition. Again, remembering Noah's dove, remembering the, the, the great canoe, they say. Usually it's in, in North America, it's the great canoe landing on a high mountain the Cherokee, we, we, we can go, we, we, there, there's so many, we can go anywhere. Well, let's talk about the, the Mandan tribe. Uh, in the 1830s, a, a traveler named George Catlin, he, he was able to go and observe the tribe. They, they had this ceremony that they did uh, once a year. And they had a man dressed up uh, as this mythical, this, this ancestral figure uh, named New Monk, Monkana, um, the only man, uh, and this man, they said, was the only man who survived the flood. And he came into the tribe and the village, and he would he would remind them of this flood. Uh, and they had their their a, a bull dance within their ceremony uh, commemorated the forty days of the flood. Uh, they referred to the turtle dove as the the bird that their uh, new monk Munkana uh, sent out and this bird returned with a, a, a willow uh, leaf in its mouth. And that wow. was a sign that the flood was ending. Wow. And that's amazing. And, and they said that, you know, th- this flood was sent in judgment of you know, mankind's evil ways. Mm. Mm. I read something this morning that I thought we could talk about as well. The um, you mentioned the let me see where it was. Uh, several accounts talk about it's on page 32, and then there's one on page uh, 37, um, and elsewhere, of course, you have this throughout the book. But uh, some of these Native American legends talk about um, giants, there's there's giant people or or some kind of half giant, they weren't good, um, but uh, several tribes that didn't have any intercommunication with one another have within their cultural legends this idea of of giants did this surprise you as you were going through this literature and, and compiling this thing yeah it was interesting there are definitely many accounts of of giants or of some uh demonic uh, uh wicked race that was that was there uh before the flood and uh and they were swept away with the flood um again all over all over north america uh, all over Central and South America, um, and, and that gets into Genesis six, and, and that's the subject of of some uh, debate. Yeah, absolutely. But that is a very uh, it, it, it it's absolutely an element that we find not always, but we find in in, in many traditions. Mm-hmm. Now the the Hualapai, I, I, the reason I mention that is because that's the one I'm most familiar with. I've I've actually been to. Um, there's another one in in, in uh, west central Mexico, north north central Mexico, uh, the uh, Copper Canyon region where the Tarahumara people are. You mentioned the Tarahumaras. I actually got spent uh, a distance running. Yeah, try. I actually uh, when I was younger, um, relatively more new to my faith, I went on a missionary trip with the church. Uh, we went into the Tarahumara region, and they don't let people in there. Oh, and, wow. uh, there's some. In, there are some. Uh, 
missionaries who are native to Mexico who who live among them, and they will occasionally bring in uh, people from um, the United States. Not all the time. It's not like Disneyland. It's not people. These are not people that want outsider influence. So it was a privilege, an awesome privilege, to go in there and just for a week, and see things that most of the rest of the world has never seen before. Um, so they've been isolated for a long time. But but like you say, they are the Tarahumara means running feet, uh, and, and a lot of them were uh, used in in the Olympics because of their. I mean, that's. I was fascinated to hear a story from the, one of the tribal elders about how they kill deer. They don't shoot them. They exhaust them, like how I've never I couldn't imagine chasing deer, barefooted or you know, you know and then they they exhaust their prey and when the prey is then they catch it and bring it back, but we were you know the Copper Canyon region is just it's probably I don't know how vast it is but it's like the Grand Canyon in terms of its visual, and so people would live up up over here on this ledge and up over here in this ledge and down in this valley. And so we were just taking, you know, our little trip was just taking food and supplies to to be beans and rice and whatever else they wanted. And we were going on foot being led by a guide uh, who was, he was tireless. I mean, we were all, he's having to wait for us. He's climbing mountains and nearly barefoot sandals and, you know, we're huffing and puffing and really amazing. But you, I did not know that there were flood legends in the Tarahumara people. Uh, that was fantastic. I want to read something from that section. And just have you mention something about it, uh, Chihuahua in Mexico. Um, the uh, you have this record from uh, it was written in 1890. When the world became full of water, a little girl and a little boy climbed up on a mountain called Lavachi, uh, which is the south of the Panalachic. I'm pr- probably killing these words. And when the water subsided, they came down again. They brought three grains of corn and three beans with them. The rocks were soft after the flood, and the footprints of the little boy and the little girl may be still seen. They planted the corn and went to sleep and had a dream that night, and then they harvested all the tarahumares that are descended from them. And uh, so then they, they have this interesting story about how they, the tarahumara, were fighting amongst, amongst each other. And the tatadios sent much rain, and the people perished. After the flood, he sent three men and three women to people the earth. They planted corn at once, bringing three kinds, the same varieties still found here. Soft corn, hard corn, and yellow corn. And so right there in a, in a Native American tribe, we have colors of corn related to the legends of the flood. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, and you, and you touched on something that uh, I was told by secular anthropologists that, well, these flood accounts that we find, they don't have any account of judgment. It's not mm. God wasn't judging people. Mm. Um, that's not true at all. Right no. there in that account, right. it, it was the flood was sent in judgment for, look, the world was just gone wild and sinful beyond belief. God sent the flood. Mm-hmm. And I, I was, I was told that these tribes of Canada and North America and South America, well, there's no element of judgment in, in the, the flood traditions, hmm. but it's there. It is. It and, is. And that's part of the reason I wrote this book was that uh, atheists uh, have been controlling the narrative. You know, we'll tell you what the facts are. We'll tell you what the evidence is. No, the, the, this is the evidence right here. And, and it clearly confirms the, the, the accuracy of Genesis and, and of the Bible. And, and, and so, you know, all the myths, I'm, I'm going to write down all these myths that I was told that, well, China doesn't have any flood stories. Uh, mm. The Pacific doesn't have any original flood story. Well, there were a couple flood stories, but we think that they're the product of missionary influence. 
uh, Southeast Asia, Siberia, they don't have any flood stories. All these are lies. And the evidence is so powerfully confirming. How did these people know yeah. about the Genesis flood? And, you know, Josephus cites uh, flood accounts, you know, mm. in the BC period mm. or 2000 years old. So, so I wrote this book to challenge the narrative and, and challenge those who will ask, you know, what's the truth? And, mm-hmm. and, and we know that if you look into the truth, you will, you know, you, you, if, if you seek, you know, uh, you know, seek him and you will find him. Right. If you seek him with all your heart. Um, let's, for our listeners, Nick, let's, let's talk about the big similarities because you go all the way up to Canada, come down through North America, go to Central America and South America in this book. And so let's let's kind of summarize, if you would, what were the big similarities that you found in, in you know, most of these narratives that, that resonate with Genesis? What, what's there present in most all of these? You already mentioned the idea, and I see this too in all the ones that I've read so far, the idea of judgment seems prevalent, that something went wrong with us whether it's the local indigenous people telling the story of themselves or something went wrong with the world. Um, uh, but, but there are other, we talked about the birds, so there's a judgment. There are birds. Uh, there's this idea of preservation, of someone being warned that this was coming. That was also fascinating to me, Nick, that, that this wasn't just that the story was like, hey, there was a flood and, and our people survived. It's like a lot of these people said they were warned about this, which was fascinating too. Um, what are some other big points that you find uh, throughout all the narratives that are, are similar to, to what we see in Genesis? The, the major ones that are most recurring are uh, that it was sent in judgment for you know, man's evil ways, that God forewarned someone, uh, a, a prophet, uh, a, a righteous man or a righteous married couple, and instructed them to build a great canoe um, this floating vessel that was, and, and it changes. Sometimes it's a log, sometimes it's a floating tree, but it's a, it's a floating, you know, object of wood and basically a boat. Um, the, the birds being sent after the flood and returning with a leaf, a piece of grass, something as a sign that the flood was ending the boat coming to rest on a mountain, a high mountain, uh, and coming down after the flood and repopulating the earth um, and, and resulting in the population that we have today. And pairs, male and female, of animals being collected and brought aboard that, that boat. Um, th- those are the, the, the most prevalent. And there are other things. We find the rainbow. We, we, uh, we, we find the sacrifice after the, uh, after the flood. Um, we find the Tower of Babel after the flood, uh, but those would be the most common. And it's they're 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 beyond specific enough to let us see that that is the no no that is not some generic flood story. That is not some by chance. That is the Noahic flood account. Yeah. How do do you as as you're compiling this? You're I'm, I'm, I would understand that you would believe as I do that. That, that all of the, the dialects of the people after the Tower of Babel was scattered. I mean, this makes the best abductive case for something like the Tower of Babel happening, where people scatter abroad because their language 
is no longer communicable. That they've lost the, the monkey thing. They became monkeys. There was confusion. Um, but this idea of tower building um, and confusion and, and spread abroad. So, so the the central story of this wasn't missionaries coming from Europe. It was that central event in the Tower of Babel. So the, these these legends that you're talking about, uh, many of them mention this. We, we've already kind of touched on this, but many of them also seem to have a reference for what we have in, in uh, Genesis 11, right? Yeah. We possess many Tower of Babel accounts. Uh, they sometimes replace it with a you know, tower of uh, trees or w- whatever uh, material they want to use, but they refer to after the flood, this attempt being made to go up to heaven and to build a great edifice. And as they're doing it, their language was confused and they became scattered and, and that today we have those languages. Um, And you mentioned missionaries. And by the way, this argument that, well, they learned the flood account from missionaries. What kind of missionary goes and tells people about the flood only? Why don't we find accounts of Jesus and right. Trinity, the, the the famous accounts of scripture, the Red Sea crossing, the David and Goliath, right. uh, the virgin birth. That's a good point. Why, why, why do we only, but it's this ad hoc argument. Why do we find only these accounts of the flood um, mm. and Babel and, and creation? No, the reason we mm. find these is that it is in the memory of mankind. We haven't completely lost it at, um, at least as of you know, 100 or 200 years ago when some of these are recorded or older. Um, mm-hmm. And, and no, you, secular attempts to explain this. Can't do it. Yeah, it, it, it is true. That's an excellent point, uh, Nick. The, the idea that if, if this was Christian missionary influence, then we wouldn't just have Noah. We, you would, like you said, we would have all these other events, including Calvary, the cross, all these other things, something that would, would sound more like, oh, a Christian missionary has been here. In fact, in your book, lest you be accused of cherry picking by your critics, uh, you eliminated uh, flood stories that sounded like, that sounded exactly like Genesis. You, yes. you, you picked through and you weeded out ones that were probably influenced by missionaries, right? Right. Um, and that's the integrity that we have to have. You know, we, mm-hmm. um, th- there are certain ones. All right, it's it's obvious that was that, that was not a uh, original account. Discard right. that one. We, we have to look at the sources, and I look at the sources. And is there credibility? Is it a uh, original source? Um, you know, and, and and that was one of the reasons I wrote this was to document. I, you know, I want to document. Go back to the original sources sift through the myth and you know maybe something was mistranslated go back to the original sources so that we can have certainty about this um and and if something is not credible if something okay it's clear that uh that that that's that that, that, that's not an original tradition don't need it Mm -hmm. got enough evidence well you know it's interesting what your book has helped me to do nick is i mean i know this in my brain but reading your book and actually having the experience myself something akin to what you must have gone through you know, we are so accustomed to going to Google and going, oh, what I'm looking for didn't come up in the first page of hits. Must not be out there then, right? right. <laughs> you know, it, it, that, that we get so accustomed to the armchair, you know, search. You got you got out of the house, you traveled, you went to libraries, you interviewed people, you listened to recordings, um, you, you, you got outside of Google. And it seems like, you know, you talk about, you, you'd mentioned that a good point earlier about the, the way to control the narrative. 
one of the things that I'm fascinated by by but your book is you've 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 re- you've footnoted everything. I mean, this isn't just you know some creationist who came up with these stories and doesn't have any documentation whatsoever. You've you've gone back to the original sources, whether it's an audio tape, uh, whether you went to a library or an anthropology work from 1960, the last time this was mentioned. Um, the, the, one of the things in your book that that I that I actually have in my own library was uh, you'd mentioned the the Hualapai story, um, the the native uh, Northern Arizona tribe, um, and I actually got the book uh, that has the actual interview of the Hualapai elder who was a hundred and four when he told this story, um, and I forget he had an, an Anglicanized name I think, but. It's, I have the original book, and it's the book that you cite in your footnotes. But in that book, what you have is this, the flood story in this unique and wonderful, you know, first people, first nation dialect of Noah. So it has, you know, the, the, the Hualapai elder speaking in Hualapai about this tale. And and that just gives me goosebumps because here I'm reading something in a language that may have emanated directly from Genesis 11, you know, some kind of leftover dialect from that in a native tongue talking about something about Genesis. But there it was. It wasn't like, because I've seen a lot of these footnotes and references, but they're very hard to track down. You've got to get up and go to a card catalog and go to a library and go physically where these are. But kudos to you about how much effort you did in tracking down source material and then documenting this. Um, because whether you're a Christian or not, Nick, this is a wonderful service to the field of human anthropology and definitely um, something that I think should be on everybody's shelf because of just, just the source material all in one place. If you have any doubt about the credibility of this, you've got everything footnoted. So fantastic job to you on that. How- yeah, and, and I don't want to take too much credit. I, that I, I, I looked at what others have collected, and, and I, I give you know, so much credit to those who have already compiled yeah. You know what, what was out there, and, and and I took that as a starting point, and um, so so I have many people to thank for that. Um, Amen. And there, there are uh, one thing that helped me is that there are actually a lot of books that have been digitized, uh, books from the 1800s, 1700s that are actually that you can find online. So that saves some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, you have to go back to the original sources, and uh, yeah, I, I just felt like there was a need for something like this to to document the original sources, um, mm-hmm. and. You, you know, you mentioned the, the the amazing account from the, the Wallapai, and and it's it's so amazing when I would find from Oregon, uh, Washington, or British Columbia, or California, or wherever these uh, accounts, traditions told by you know, like you say, someone who's ninety years old, yeah. hundred years old, yeah. some of them blind, you know, right. Uh, right. born prior to the arrival of Europeans. Mm. Uh, this is the tradition that that our people have passed down since time immemorial mm. and, mm. and it, it's, it's the way it flood. Uh, the, the Popol Vu uh, document from Guatemala, mm-hmm. um, this manuscript that we have, uh, an, an account predating the arrival of the Spanish and it account, it includes an account of the flood and the tower of Babel. Wow. It's fascinating that the Aztecs with their ancient history, um, clear account of the flood and uh, even and I've got an article on the Answers to Genesis website uh, an account of um, um, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel even. Wow. There are accounts, distorted accounts of Cain and Abel even in some of these. Wow. That's fascinating. That's absolutely fascinating. Now in uh, in terms of 
uh, we've had a couple of podcasts that we've been just doing. We've, we did a podcast on uh, young earth creationism, a view of young earth creationism and the flood. And then we did a view of old earth creationism and the flood. And so your, your, our talk here is complementing both of those. Um, but I, I wanted to talk about a little bit in terms of, especially the American Southwest, um, with the Grand Canyon, of course. A lot of, you know, with the Hualapai and others in that region or the Tarahumara, um, there is this sense, and this this would get us into the the idea of how the topography, you mentioned uh, the mountain and their stories that these people have a mountain where they're, the lone survivor landed in his canoe uh, and uh, tied together with this earth diver. But that, um, I think in one of the stories, I think it was the Hualapai, where they were, they dug out a cleft and the water drained and so there's a lot of there's a lot of relationship about these Native American stories um, in relation to the topography around which they they live. So they would explain the nature of the land based on their flood stories. Where it's interesting, our our modern scientific uh, you know suspicion of folklore says, no, 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 look, the, the the rocks tell us a different story. And here we are. I find it very interesting. Uh, and especially from skeptics and atheists who will say something like, well, the geology of the world proves there was no flood. And we're telling uh, ourselves this story, like you alluded to earlier, Nick, about how you're finding out, you know, in your anthropology class, you're told that nah, there's no judgment in these stories. Oh, those people don't have a flood story. And you're finding out quite the opposite. And uh, I just find the contrast interesting about how, uh, because both of our, our, our podcasts on geology, you know, both of them affirm that the flood exists. But modern secular geology is, is telling this narrative, ignoring cultural anthropology, ignoring the local native stories, it, just writing it all off as myth and saying, no, look at what the science tells us about the rocks. There was no flood. I just found the, the contrast between those two perspectives fascinating. But we do have to listen to the native people and what they're telling us about the land, wouldn't you say? Yeah, uh, the, the the Havasupe, another tribe of Arizona yes, yes. that inhabits the Grand Canyon, they say that this is the product of the flood. Hmm. Um, and geology gives unequivocal evidence supporting the Genesis flood. And you know, I just finished reading a book, uh, Carved in Stone by uh, Timothy Clary. And there's so many great resources. When you look at, I mean, even the rock layers that are bent, curved, yet without cracking. Well, how does that happen over millions of years? It, it doesn't. It, yeah. Uh, and, and there's no... Right. It's got a wave to it. Yeah. How does that do polystrate that? Polystrate trees. And, yeah. and, uh, polystrate trees uh, going up through multiple layers of rock. Um, how does... Okay. Mm-hmm. How does that happen over millions of years? Uh, look, you go to the can- Grand Canyon right. and you look at these... They look like pancakes laid one on top of the other. Um, how... how yeah, it's a good way to put it. And so we're supposed to believe that these that these perfectly uniform, flat, knife-edged layers, they just they preserve themselves over millions of years. No. Uh, water, moving water mm. deposits, and it, it organizes sediment by grain size, and, uh, and we have flume experiences show that this, this is... Uh, the, the only way you can ca- account for this is moving water... Um, you know, just like with the flood mm, accounts, mm. you know, um, th- th- these flood traditions are not what we expect to find if if atheism is, is the truth. 
uh, the, the 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 geology yeah. cries out. It's uh, you, know, you know for a, a young Earth, and it's it's like a like a forensic a, a crime scene. And and when you look at the evidence of geology, you can you have a picture of the past. <laughs>